Well, good morning, Stafford Baptist Church. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, my name is Kelton. I serve as one of the elders here at Stafford Baptist Church. As we continue our worship of our holy God this morning, I have the privilege of bringing you God's word. So please open with me, if you would, in your Bibles to Leviticus 19, where we are going to be in verses 1 through 8. If you're using the Bibles provided for you in the pew, you can find that on page 97. Leviticus 19, 1 through 8. God's holiness demands our holiness. This morning we begin a short sermon series that will take us through the five weeks of August. We had planned to return to, return to Genesis, but the, the plans of men change. This short series is going to be, uh, I might call the polar opposite of our summer series, Letters to the Church. Instead of overview sermons flying 40,000 feet above an entire book of the Bible, we're going to slow down and take a close look at just a few verses each week in this sermon series from five different books. And, and the goal of this sermon series is to build a biblical framework for why and how the church is to deal with sin in the body in the church. How, why and how the church is to deal with sin in the body, the church. We are calling this series Restoring Repentance. And the, the first building block of that framework is the truth that God's holiness demands our holiness. As we start, it's appropriate for us to pause, to, to ask God for his help in the, the proclaiming and hearing of his word. Let's, let's pray once more. Father, we do come to you as the holy God, the one who inhabits eternity, and the one who dwells with him who is contrite and lowly in heart. Father, we pray that this morning you would dwell with us that our hearts would be contrite before you, that we would not just confess with our lips, but, but know in our hearts that we need you. We need you in everything. Apart from you, we can do nothing, including hear your word, believe it, and obey it. So, Lord, we pray this morning, as we come to your word and see your holiness, that you would be sufficient for our need this morning. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Well, who, who do you want to be like? Who do you want to be like? Maybe you don't normally think about that, wanting to be like someone else. You're comfortable with who you are. But if you could be like someone else, who would you like to be like? I think of the old Gatorade commercials, Be Like Mike, showing basketball players imitating Michael Jordan's moves on the courts. And the advertising, advertiser hoping that that means you will also buy their sports drink. Maybe you think of a, another celebrity or some great historical figure that you admire, or, or maybe simply just even another member of, of this church. Maybe it's some admirable virtue that they embody, or a praiseworthy achievement. Can you think of someone that you would want to grow to be more like. I think it's, it's natural for us to de desire to imitate in others what is praiseworthy. 
In fact, I would argue that's what we were created for, part of our most fundamental purpose. Not to imitate others first and foremost, but, but to imitate, imitate God. All people were created in God's image. Humanity is unique in, in all of creation by being made like God to reflect his character in certain ways. But to, to put it frankly, we are not like God. The theologian R.C. Sproul summarized the problem. The human dilemma is this. God is holy and we are not. God is holy and we are not. Well, what does it mean that the God is holy? And what does God's holiness mean for us who are, are not holy? Well, that's the answers that our text this morning provides for us in Leviticus 19. Our main idea this morning will be that since God is holy, all Christians are called to be holy. Since God is holy, all Christians are called to be holy. Who do you want to be like? Well, all Christians are called to be like God who is holy. To be a Christian means that we have been saved from our unholiness and saved to be like the Lord our God in faltering but real holiness. Since God is holy, all Christians are called to be holy. So let's read of God's holiness and our call to be holy in Leviticus 19. Read with me, starting in verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. And you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be in the same day you offer it or on the day after. And anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted. It will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord. And that person shall be cut off from his people. The word of the Lord. Well, since we're jumping into the middle of the book of the Bible, some context will, will help us as we start. Leviticus, the book we read from, is the third book in the Bible, part of Moses' account of the history of the nation of Israel. Israel is, is God's chosen people, chosen not because of their merits, but because of God's gracious love. And that nation, the people of Israel, has been redeemed from slavery in Egypt and brought out from Egypt into Mount Sinai to receive God's word in, in a covenant. So at the end of, of the book previous to Leviticus, at the end of Exodus, God's presence is dwelling with his people in the, the tabernacle at the center of their camp. But, but remember the dilemma that R.C. Sproul summarized for us. God is holy and we are not. So how can God dwell in their midst in this tabernacle? Well, well that's why the book of Leviticus is here. 
It's all about how the people are to deal with their sins so a, a holy God can continue to dwell with his people. So this book is all about the sacrifices, the, the worships, the, the priesthood, the, the feasts, so that a holy God can dwell with an unholy people. The central message of the book of Leviticus is that God is holy and he requires his people to be holy. You can summarize the, the section of Leviticus that we're in from chapter 17 all the way to the end in chapter seven, uh, 27 simply with this phrase, God's requirement for holiness. Well, this morning we're going to consider our verses in chapter 19 with three points. Three points this morning. First, be holy, the pattern in verses 1 and 2. Second, be holy, the practice that in verses 3 through 7. And finally, be holy the peril in verse 8. Be holy the pattern, be holy the practice, and finally, be holy the peril. Let's start in verse 1 in our first point, be holy the pattern. Look again at that verse with me. There are a few important things for us to note here. It begins, and the Lord spoke to Moses. This phrase, and the Lord spoke to Moses, shows up 33 times in the 27 chapters of Leviticus. Moses was God's spokesperson, if you will, speaking on behalf of the people of Israel, God's appointed prophet. But more fundamental than the fact that that Moses speaks for God is the fact that, that first God speaks to God. Moses, the the God of the Bible, the infinite, eternal, triune creator is a personal God. He condescends to speak to Moses so that he understands. Apparently, God knows Hebrew and God speaks to reveal himself, to tell us who he is, what he is like. And even who who we are as his creation and what he requires of us. What a good spot to start this morning, church. God speaks and we must listen. In our sin, on our own, we, we suppress the truth. We are futile in our thinking. We are darkened in our understanding. So this morning, if you have ears to hear how God speaks, it is by the grace of God. So I ask, do you have ears to hear this morning? Do you gather this morning to hear a transcendent but personal deity speak to you by his word? What we see here in Leviticus 19 is that each and every person is responsible to listen when this God speaks. Look again at verse 2. Before giving the message for the people, God gives Moses some instructions. Speak, he says, to all the congregation of the people of Israel. God refers to the the whole nation as a congregation, as as one gathering here. When God speaks through his spokesperson, it's 
It's not like an optional symposium, if you will, an academic conference for a select few, you know, who are interested in in further education about what God requires. No, no, all are to hear. I don't know why I think of it, but it's like the assembly of the entire kingdom at the beginning of Lion King. Do you, do you know the scene? Right? Every animal from, from greatest to smallest on bended knee at Pride Rock in respect for their regent. And it's, it's proven in the movie by the exception, right? Scar, the king's brother, doesn't show up. And it's an issue for, of, of grave concern. When God speaks All the congregation is to prioritize by assembling, listening to what he has to say. So to the whole congregation, God instructs Moses to say in verse 2, this command, you shall be holy, for I, the Lord, your God, am holy. Through his spokesperson, Moses, God instructs his people what he requires of each and every one of them and gives the reason here in verse 2. The the command, you shall be holy, is repeated numerous other times in the book of Leviticus in in nearly the same exact words. Like I said earlier, it's, it's the message of the whole book. God is holy and he requires his people to be holy. You shall be holy. Well, be helpful here to define what does it mean to be holy you might hear that word and associate it with with something like stuffy or or smug maybe sanctimonious and self-righteous well the the word in hebrew comes from the word to to separate or to cut off so at its its base to be holy means to be removed from common use when we apply this this word to god what he says in verse 2, that, that he is holy, he means that, that he is unique, that he is uncommon, he is different, that he is separate from everything else. There is no one like our God. He is holy. I think the word holy might be the best one word description of God's character. He is holy. In fact, to, to be holy describes everything about God. For, for example, God is love, yes, but His love is holy. It is unique. There is no love like His love. Or God is just, but His justice is holy. There is no other justice like God's justice. In all that God is, He is holy. He is unique. He is separate from everything else in creation. There is God, and there is everything else. One pastor used gold to describe God's holiness. Do you know why gold is used as the basis for our, our currency, for the American dollar? Well, well first, because it's, it's rare. It's unique. It's, it's not like dirt, right? It's rare enough so that not everyone can go out there and, and craft their own gold bars, Right? But it's not just rare, it's also permanent. Gold doesn't doesn't rust, it doesn't corrode. So since gold is is rare but permanent, well, our, our society has assigned it great value. 
God's holiness is like gold. It's one of a kind and unchanging and therefore the most valuable thing in the universe. Far more valuable than all the gold that we could ever mine from this world. And God's valuable holiness is is so central to who He is, who He reveals Himself to be in Scripture, that the Bible goes goes to say that, that His name is holy. Isaiah 57, 15 describes God as the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. Or Psalm 11, 11, 9, holy and awesome is his name. Or Ezekiel 36, 22, God acts for the sake of his holy name. It is so central to who he is that you could say his name is holy. Or what is the first petition of the Lord's Prayer, saints? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Jesus taught us first and foremost to pray that God's name would be hallowed, that it would be honored as holy. I mentioned the theologian R.C. Sproul earlier who who wrote a a phenomenal book about the holiness of God. And at the the core of that book is a discussion of of Isaiah chapter 6 verse 3, the the verse that we read to start our service this morning. It's worth quoting at length his book. Listen how R.C. Sproul helps us understand how central God's holiness is is according to the Bible. Listen with me. On a handful of occasions, the Bible repeats something to the third degree. To mention something three times in succession is to elevate it to the superlative degree, to attach to it the emphasis of super importance. But only once in sacred scripture is an attribute of God elevated to the third degree. Only once is a characteristic of God mentioned three times in succession. The Bible says that God is holy, holy, holy. Not that he is merely holy or holy, holy. He is holy, holy, holy. The Bible never says that God is love, 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 or mercy, 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 or wrath, 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 or justice, justice, justice. It does say that our God is holy, holy, holy. That the whole earth is full of his glory. Brothers and sisters, our God is holy, holy, holy. Holy to the superlative degree. In all that he is, his holiness is not qualified or diminished in the least degree. But we, we are not. The human dilemma is this. God is holy and we are not. That's why, as we read earlier, when the prophet Isaiah had this vision of God in his holiness, his visceral and immediate reaction was, Woe! Woe is me! I am lost. So what do we do with Leviticus 19.2? You shall be holy. God commands his people who are not holy. You shall be people. Or you shall be holy. And the reason? For I, the Lord your God, am holy. 
our God is holy. God doesn't have to do anything to become holy. He is eternally and always unchangingly holy. We, though, must be made holy and told how to live to be holy like God. So our holiness begins by being separated from once we, what we once were. Israel, the, the nation Moses speaks to here, had been called out of the nations, redeemed from Egypt. They had been separated by God. And this separation was God's gracious work. First by promise to Abram, then by sending of Moses to the people, by judging Pharaoh through the ten plagues and his people protected by the blood of the Lamb, by dividing the Red Sea and, and bringing them out of Egypt into the wilderness. Well, it's, it's the same for Christians. That we've been delivered from our slavery, brought out by God. We've been decisively delivered from the dominion of of darkness by the gospel, separated once for all from the world when by God's gracious work, Christ died in our place on the cross for our sins. And God sends his spirit to give us the gift of faith and repentance in new life from above. So, Christians having been made holy by God's gracious work, we are now called to live holy lives, just as God does through Moses to the nation of Israel. Why? For the Lord our God is holy. We are to be holy because God is holy. We are to be holy like our God who is holy. And, and this holiness is is not the shallow holiness of, of nonconformity, as if Christians are simply, you know, supposed to find what is popular in the world and, and do its opposite. No, no. God calls us to a deeper holiness. Not of only what we wear or eat or drink, but a matter of the heart, who we are, what we love, to be like God. This kind of heart holiness is is what God goes on to call them to in the next verses, in verses 3 through 7. So let's consider our second point this morning, be holy the practice. Be holy the practice. You might have recognized some of these commandments as we read through. In fact, all of the Ten Commandments are repeated in Leviticus 19, though we only read through some of them in these first eight verses. Look again with me at at verse 3. The command to revere mother and father is a restatement of of the fifth commandment. Verse 4, right? Oh, sorry, in the second half of verse 3 there, sorry. To keep God's Sabbath is a restatement of of the fourth commandment. Now, verse 4, not to make or worship uh, for yourselves any gods of cast metal. It's it's a restatement of the first and, and second commandment. You know, if we had kept on reading in verse 11, you shall not steal, it's the eighth commandment. In verse 12, you shall not swear by my name falsely, right? That's a, a, state, a restatement of the third commandment. You, if you want, you can look for yourself where the remaining four are in the chapter. So these, these 10 commandments that we have from God are, are a summary of God's law, what God requires of his people to be holy because he is holy. The the Ten Commandments were a part of the 
God's covenant with the nation of Israel, a covenant which is no longer enforced, but, but all of them reflect God's holy character and are a pattern for how we are to live even today, brought through the, the teaching of the New Testament in Jesus Christ. But the chapter is, is clearly not just a list of the Ten Commandments again. It also applies those commandments to daily life. Let, let me explain That's what I think is happening in in verses 5, 6, and 7. First, in in verse 4, we have a restatement of the first and second commandment, to have no other gods and not make idols. And and what that implies is in the verses that follow, verses 5, 6, and 7. Here's how the, the Baptist Catechism explains what the second commandment requires. Question, what is required in the second commandment? Answer, the the second commandment requires the receiving, observing, and keeping pure and entire all such religious worship and ordinances as God hath appointed in his word. So, when in verses 5 through 7, God instructs the people how to offer peace offerings, he is telling them, he is applying to them the second commandment, that they're to observe all worship as God has appointed Well, what is the peace offering? Well, the peace offering is described for us in Leviticus chapter 3. It's an offering when seeking God's blessing or celebrating when he has blessed. It was unique in Israel in that that only the fat and the kidneys were burned in the offering. Apparently, most of the offering was actually to be eaten by the the one who offers. So we learn here in in verse 6. Similar to what you can read in in Leviticus chapter 7, that it could only be eaten on the day or the next that it was offered. On that day or the next. It could not be eaten on the third day. Any remainder on that third day had to be burned according to God's commandment. Well, lots of details. Time to wake up. This is specific to the Old Covenant. We worship God by the new covenant. Our sacrifice is is Jesus, not the blood of a bull and goats. But it's important to note here, church, God is the one who determines how he is to be worshipped. He is holy. And all that he does and commands is holy. If he says yes on days one and two and no On day three, who are you, O man, to answer back to God? In all that God is and demands, his holiness is not qualified or diminished in the least degree. He determines the practice of our holiness, both like we see here in the elements of our our corporate worship and all the details of our daily life. His commands are not arbitrary. You know, pulled out of thin air just to keep his people busy. Maybe to to stump them and, and get them. No, God is holy and all that he commands is consistent with who he is. Church, do you remember how Jesus instructed his disciples after his resurrection in the, the Great Commission? Well, he says, go, make disciples, baptize, 
teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. All that I have commanded you. How did John, the beloved disciple, say it? 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. All that I have commanded you. Keep his commandments. I wonder, are there any commandments of Jesus that you've sidelined? You've decided that they're just not that important and can safely be downplayed with no consequences. Well, if so, this persuasion is not from him who calls you. In the words of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 9, God saved us and called us to a holy calling. To be saved is to have a calling to holiness. Be holy, for the Lord your God is holy. Obey and keep. Did you notice as we read through chapter 19, at the end of verses 3 and 4, a a repeated phrase. If you scan the rest of the chapter all the way through verse 37, it's repeated seven times in the chapter and then punctuates the whole chapter at the end in, in verse 37. It's this phrase, I am the Lord your God. Repeated throughout these instructions of the the practice of our holiness is this reminder who it is that speaks these instructions to us. First, the name. I am the Lord. The, The name that he revealed to Moses in the burning bush. The capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Yahweh. Which means the the I am, the self-existent, infinite, and eternal creator. I am the Lord. And, And second, his relationship to them. Your God. Your God. Not just any God, but but yours. And he is your Elohim, your deity, your supreme supernatural being. If this point was lost in our first discussion of holiness again and again, we are reminded of who he is and what his relationship to us is. And for those reasons, he has all authority to command as he wills and demand our holiness as he determines. He is the Lord, our God. All who claim to know him and to have a relationship with him will heed what he commands. And that's weighty. It requires sobriety. How serious is this? Well, consider our final verse, verse 8, and our third point this morning. Be holy the peril. Be holy the peril. Verse 8 is God's direction to Moses when the meat of the peace offering is, is eaten on the third day. Look at it with me. Everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity. The word iniquity means wickedness or immorality. It emphasizes the the quality of an action that they're eating here was was immoral. God here means that the person who eats is responsible. Their sins are on them. They bear the iniquity. But why is it that this eating is to be considered immoral and iniquity? 
Well, the rest of the verse gives us reason. Because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord. We normally think of profane language. Here, profane means to treat something as as common, as as not sacred. Well, you might be thinking, well, that, that seems like a lot for a man who just ate on day three rather than day two. Why the big deal? Well, because it's, it's not about an expiration date on meat, right? It was, it was never about the meat. It's about setting aside what God calls holy. The man has disregarded what God has commanded. Instead of treating the sacrifice as holy, he's treated it just as, as just some meat. The particular offense here is, is not eating but the profane treatment of what is holy to the Lord. And finally, the verse tells us the consequence. For the one who bears his iniquity in profaning the holy, it says that person shall be cut off from his people. To be cut off from the people is to be removed from the family of Israel. It's to be excluded from the benefits of the covenant and to be denied access to the the presence of God with His people in the tabernacle. In church, something is true, something similar is true today. In what Jesus teaches us in Matthew 18 and and Paul in 1 Corinthians 5, where, where Paul commands the church to purge the evil person from among you, the church. So too, in the new covenant, we are to remove those who have no regard for what God commands. We'll examine those texts more in the weeks to come, but today consider how serious is the command to be holy? How seriously does God treat it here? Well, God calls the one who eats as in iniquity, as profaning the holy, as deserving to be cut off from among his people. God is holy and therefore calls his people, his community to be holy. And those who who do not treat him and what he commands as holy are removed from that community. So, Stafford Baptist, what does this mean for us? Has God's requirement changed? No, God still calls his people to be holy. God's holiness demands our holiness. But what has changed is a new freedom and a new power to meet the requirement in Christ. As Christians living under the new covenant, there are two great truths for us to consider as we conclude this morning. Both that we must hold on to. First, the gospel decisively makes us holy And second, the gospel calls us to live holy lives, inseparable truths of genuine Christian life. So first, the gospel. The good news of the gospel is is that we do not bear our iniquities any longer. For all who have have truly repented of their sins and, and trusted in Christ's death on the cross, your sins have been borne by another, by Jesus Our unholiness is is so serious that the only way that it could be forgiven is for the sinless Son of God to take them upon Himself 
and die on the cross so that we might be forgiven. Jesus died the death that we deserve in our place. He was cut off from among God's people on the cross so that we could be welcomed and adopted into his people forever. But Jesus didn't just die for us. Before Jesus died, he, he lived for us. We can be declared perfectly righteous because Jesus lived a life of perfect holiness. Jesus never broke a single one of the Ten Commandments and every other thing that God commands. His sinlessness is now credited to our account by faith so that we can have His holiness. At this point, you might be wondering, if the good news is that we're saved by faith and not by works, How can you say that God's holiness demands our holiness? Is that not requiring good works? That's a good question. So there is a second truth Christians must hold. We read 1 Peter as our scripture reading this morning, where Peter quotes Leviticus to call the church to holiness. Peter's writing after Jesus. As a member of the New Covenant, two Christians explaining to them the good news. Yes, Christians, we too are called to holiness. As Peter writes, to not be conformed to the passions of our former ignorance, to conduct ourselves with fear of the Lord. And Peter gives us all the more reason. We were ransomed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This is not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved. We have to get that order correct. This is not in order to be saved, but because we have been saved. We are saved by faith alone, but the faith that saves is never alone. Church, do you believe that the gospel has power to change? Do you believe that the gospel has power to change? All who repent and believe, all who have been made holy by God's sacrifice of Jesus Christ are also given a new nature. They are indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God so that we might live holy lives by his power. Paul remarks about our new lives in Romans chapter 6, verses 2 and 4. He writes this, How can we who died to sin still live in it? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Everyone who has baptized has been buried with Christ in his death and has received this newness of life that we might walk in it. Christians walk in newness of life. We died to sin. We don't live in it. So in Christ, you are called to be separate, to be unique, to be different from the world, to be holy, different from who we all once were in our sin. Yes, imperfectly. Yes, 
with setbacks. Some of our stories are only on chapter 3. Some are in chapter 33. But still, truly and really holy because the Lord our God is holy. I love the way the, the 18th century pastor and hymn writer John Newton put it. He confessed of himself, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. We should expect the same signs in every believer. The change may be minimal, the first spark, but the Holy Spirit of God really does change people. And the desires of the Spirit are against the desires of the flesh. They will grow to a roaring fire. Church, take sin seriously in ourselves and in our community. In all that He is, our God is holy. Holy to the superlative degree. Not qualified or, or diminished in the least degree. Holy is His name. And so God's commandments are not to be disregarded, thought little of. All who have been saved by grace have new life by His Holy Spirit. A life of real and growing holiness after the pattern of our holy God. Why is the church to deal with sin in the body? Because the Lord our God is holy and he calls us to holiness. Let's pray. Father, your holiness calls us to worship. Who, O oh God, is like you? There is none who is perfect in holiness. Lord, all that you are and do is perfect. None can be like you. But Lord, as your creatures made to reflect your image, you have called us to holiness. And Lord, as those who have been reborn by your Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, you have called us to live lives that reflect your image in holiness. Lord, we pray that as your people and as your community, we would take sin seriously that we would root it out by the power of your spirit for the glory of your holy name. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.